In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I just whirlwind in, literally, from, well, I guess not literally, I'm not a whirlwind, I'm not the Tasmanian devil. Um, Is this the, the, the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> exactly. I am just arriving home from a little family event. I went to my little cousin's birthday parties just now. How was that? It was so cute. Cute. Yeah, I'm... Davies at work, so I went solo, but yeah, kids, cousins, drinks, good times. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm tipsy. But you're a little but I'm, buzzy. I'm in a zone. All right, great. <laughs> um, I I never know. So I'm not a fan of kids, which mm. I think I've is probably clear to you and probably sure. to our listeners. But and to I children, never, whenever, <laughs> yes, and to children, really. But it's so funny. Whenever people are like, "I did this thing that is kid centered," I literally don't know how to respond because I, I I'm like, great. Fun. Oh, listen, the kids played together and we hung out with them, and then the cousins that are all around our age hung out and talked, so. Yeah. And ate. Yeah. Well, great. <laughs> I, I mean, those are too. fun things, Oof. certainly. I love, I don't know if this is all families or just my family, but I love family get-togethers that are casual where there's just, like, picking foods. Oh, yeah. Like, See, my family does that, and then they <laughs> also do the main food. Like, we'll spend three hours eating M&M's and then also eat tri-tip. Ah, uh, yum. So M&M's and tri-tip. Doing it big. Living large, literally. <laughs> I have just one item to mention to you. Mm. I'm, like, jumping right in. Okay. Um, there is a team... I think I mentioned this last week. Criminal UK? Yes. Okay. I finished it. I finished the second season. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And there are... It, the reason it's called Criminal UK is because there are multiple countries uh, that produce it. So there's Criminal Spain, Criminal France, and Criminal Germany, I think, are the other three that I found. Um, and granted, I have to watch them with subtitles because I speak none of those languages. Mm. But it's still really good. So if you are enjoying Criminal UK, I recommend going and checking out Criminal the other countries as well. <laughs> and this is scripted, right? These are scripted things? It's scripted, yes. I'm interested, yeah. Yeah, it's basically a show where interrogators play mind games with people. And granted, I'm sure it's not like super realistic, but... It, Maybe I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is, but it's interesting regardless. Yeah. So. Into it. Yeah. What um, about you? I've got, like, a recommendation and then a little uh, shouty-outy, shouty-outy, mm. holler back yeah. moment okay. thing. Um, okay, so recommendation. Before pandemic. Yes. Pandemic, the thing everyone loves to hate to talk about. Do you know what's funny is there's a board game called Pandemic that is actually really fun. Oh, and I Miles, know. Miles we, and I were playing it at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> we talked about it back then, but it, it always felt too involved to get into. So we always did yeah. something else. It's fun because you actually, over the course, like you play it. And as you play it, you add different and like subtract different rules. So like each time you play it, it's slightly different. I love it. And you guys yeah. got the expansion pack type one, Yeah, too, right? I think, yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, before pandemic happened, there were a couple of movies in the movie theater that Davey and I wanted to see. Okay. One was, well, there were three main ones. One was Knives Out, one Mm. was Uncut Gems, Mm. and one was Hustlers. I don't, I remember, so I saw Knives Out. I didn't see Hustlers, but I want to. I don't remember Uncut Gems. Oh, I really want to see that one. It features someone that you hate, but um, (gasps) I've heard it's really good. Adam Sandler. Oh, God. But it's not a comedy. It's not a comedy whatsoever. Oh, I'm even more uncomfortable. Oh, stop it. Give him a Listen, chance. I, he, he's good in some serious... Have you ever seen Punch Drug Love? No. I don't know if that's a you movie. Um, Listen, hmm. listeners, if you can give me an example of the most un-Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler role. Punch as Drug a way- Love. All right. I'll add it to my it's list. It's a little artsy, but I... If I remember, I loved it at the time. I don't know how it is now, but that was an older one. Well, Spanglish, hey, Spanglish I, is pretty non-Adam Sandlery. I have a suggestion. Maybe that should be our like Patreon episode next week. Oh, watch Punch Drunk Love and give and just, our thoughts. And, yeah, and just come back and discuss. Okay. Let's, All right. Let's see if we can find it for free. Oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah, because I I will not be paying for an no. Adam Sandler. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Anyway. Uh, so Uncut Gems is supposedly really, really good. It's the only one of the three I haven't seen. So we saw Knives Out, I don't know, a couple months ago. And mm-hmm. we just watched Hustlers the other day. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm it's sure it's great. I really wanted to see it. Nothing like what I thought. Uh, it's very different than what I thought it was going to be in the style of the movie, at least. Uh-huh. Um, but it was really great. So highly recommend. Nice. It's a throwback. And then the other thing, I just want to shout out and pat myself on the back a little bit, and a few other things. I have been busting my hump on our website. So, listeners, headliners, check out rippedheadlinespod.com. I have updated every single page. There is thumbnail images for every episode that we've done. So if you're kind of curious what people look like, you can go to um, our page and you can check out our thoughts. And all of our thoughts aren't uploaded yet, but there's at least one thumbnail episode for every episode. So you can kind of see who we're talking about. If you're curious, uh, back episodes, like when did they talk about Malcolm X? You can check it out and find it. I have a page that explains everything that's on our Patreon and kind of lays it out for you so you know what to expect if you were to join it's it's tons of stuff so check out our website i've been busting my ass and so uh on the main page of our website i also want to shout this out again a couple weeks ago i mentioned my friend damien who was tragically yes. killed while walking home from a halloween party it looks like it looks like with further information he was just walking home from a halloween party i think he was in a costume still um, so he was killed by an off-duty police officer who was drinking and then picked up the body and brought it to his mother's house and then put it back at the scene of the crime before calling for help. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They're still trying to raise money for his legal defense to try to get justice for Damien. On our main page, when you first go to our page, there is a button right up. You can't miss it. So as soon as you go to RippedHeadlinesPod.com, there's a button on our main page that links you to the GoFundMe. You can read more information about it. I've also linked to an article from the newspaper um, about what actually happened to him so you can Mm -hmm. kind of get a better idea of it, get the facts. 
and the dates. And so please check out our website, if for nothing else, just to check out that GoFundMe. And it does not matter if you can't even donate a dollar. If you could just share it with anybody out there, um, it would mean a lot. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just shouting out the GoFundMe and patting myself on the back for all the hard work I've been doing on that website. It looks amazing. Thank you so much for all of that. Uh, Thank you. It's it's actually a lot of fun. It's it's a really good distraction that is actually um, productive. Productive distraction. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Um, one other thing I want to mention for folks who are not yet Patreon subscribers, but also those who are. Matt and I are changing it up just a little bit. So instead of Fashion Court episodes where we review the looks of Law & Order, we're going to be doing something that we need to title in some way. I'm sure you're good at this. You'll come up with a a way to thematically title them. But essentially, we're going to be doing just fun episodes where we talk about random things, uh, we play games, we review things. So if you just enjoy listening to us, if we are the noise that fills the silence to you and you would like more of that, <laughs> um, please head on over to RippedHeadlinesPod.com where you will find the link to our Patreon and you will get fun bonus content for anywhere from $1 to $10 a month. Yeah, and if you are a Patreon subscriber or you're looking to become one and you have an idea for the kind of content that you look for from your makers out there, suggest things. Or the more interactive you folks become with our Patreon, the better we can make it. Because the whole point of it is really to give listeners who like what we do normally something a little extra. Um, So that's what we want. We want it to be stuff that you really enjoy. So we're just trying to... Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. Also, if every single one of our listeners even signed up for the $1 a month (sighs) Patreon, which is change that you could probably find in your couch or in your car, it would pay for, like, all of the costs of our Patreon and would pay us for, like, editing and things like that, which we would would then mean we could bring you even more content. So strongly encourage you to go check out the Patreon. And literally, we talk about this kind of... You hear this in a lot of podcasts. If you haven't heard it in your favorite, favorite podcasts, I'm sure you will at some point if you go back. But yeah. we always do the whole, like, you know, rate, review, do the, all the things for the podcast. And it, it sort of sounds like chatter. But honestly, yeah. if you like us at all, the <laughs> best way – it really isn't a joke. The, the best way to get our podcast out there, the, the way you change the algorithms, the way we get noticed, the way our podcast gets listed on those, like, new, new and noteworthy kind of, like, lists for people to actually find us and be like, hey, we want to review you and you want to – we want to pay you money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is just to subscribe, like honestly, subscribe, rate, and review in that order. And uh, like Ed said, the $1 for the Patreon level, <sighs> if you like us, it, it really could potentially be life changing and give us more opportunity to uh, work on this rather than the other stuff that we do for mm. money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not talking about that. Uh, well, speaking of episodes and content, should we actually get into the episode and give some people some content? I'm ready. Are you? Okay. I am. So, again, <laughs> listeners, my brain majorly like misfired at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And so, as we said last week, I am recapping two episodes in a row because I messed up. And Matt is the researcher. Please tell me that is actually what's happening. That's ex- yes. Oh, okay, great. Well, this is season three, episode 14 of Law and Order, and it is titled Promises to Keep. Beautiful. That sounds like a 
precious moments figure. It does. It, it or like a one of those creepy like oath keepers things, promise keepers. I forget what the word I'm looking for is, but you know the like virginity promise. Oh yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. All right, so this episode opens on a couple jogging through the park, um, presumably Central Park, and it's a couple, and they're wearing the most, like, early 90s colored jumpsuit windbreaker. It's that, it is that early 90s windbreaker fabric that I don't think you can find today. No. I think I, I, I had a jacket made of that material that I, I think was, like, neon green lime green yellow kind of color which is very that era yeah they they either came in that color code or they came in sort of the um dixie purple yes purple seafoam greenish blue uh yeah (laughs) yeah, and those were it was a mentos commercial happening right in front of your eyes I for thank you. Mentos commercial is a perfect way to describe this opening scene oh until <laughs> until they find a dead body. But we'll get there in a second. So they're complaining about running. He is would, like saying, "Would oh, you say this counts as an intense conversation for a couple to be in?" Do I? Get I that? do. Th- I do think so. Yes. yes. Okay. And here's why: because he complains that this is no way to lose weight, and she says, "You have an eating disorder. You need professional help." <laughs> Very yeah. strange. <laughs> Escalated thing. very quickly. It escalated it very quickly. Feels like a kind of serious thing to be kind of like just cavalierly throwing about, Linda. Yes. So yes. Uh, chill out. Also, it kind of seemed like she was shaming him for that. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. So Logan arrives at the scene and <sighs> mm. he also mocks the joggers because I guess the the jogging suits that they're wearing are those like plastic e ones that make you sweat a lot for mm. weight loss, but it's actually just water, so not really great for you. Mm. Um. But they figure out that the woman has been dead for more than three hours and she has been strangled. Yikes. Briscoe finds her ID and it's a woman named Jennifer Gorham and she was a doctor and her belongings were kind of like strewn along a, a multiple streets. It sounds like like a, a path as things were like tossed around. So like they found her wallet there and like 50 feet away they found purse, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. However, they did not find her keys, so they're like, somebody's got her keys, and they're probably going to look at her apartment or steal or rob her apartment, whatever. So they send some police to her home address to see if anybody has tried to get in or will try to get in. Um, and at the, But this at this point, it seems to have been a simple robbery, but they kind of can't figure out why she would have been strangled if it was just a robbery. So... Briscoe kind of wonders if the killer knew her and, like, strewing, having her belongings tossed around were just made to make it look like a mugging. Right. So then we get the title sequence and um, have a little bit of time. So I decide to give myself a manicure. I do a full, first I push all my cuticles, you know, back and, and like, oil my cuticles. Then I do like a nice base coat to make sure the polish sticks. I do two coats of polish, a top coat, and I give about 10 minutes dry time in between each coat. And by the time I'm done, the episode is starting back up. (laughs) I think that the first thing I do when I'm out of (laughs) financial delinquency is is get a pedicure. Oh, I, I guess I've had a pedicure once before. I've never done it, and I just feel like I just want someone to take care of me <laughs> yeah it does i will yeah it does feel nice like you get a little bit of a foot massage and your foot feet feel like nicely moisturized after 
I, I don't know. I think you can do it, replicate it at home personally. Mm, well, except for the massage part, Davy can do that. Davy, get on that. <laughs> so they, when we come back, Briscoe and Logan are in the woman's apartment, and it's been just like ransacked. Everything is everywhere. But everything that is of value is still in the apartment. So they're like, mm, okay, so it's definitely not looking like a robbery at this point. Um, so probably not random. And since it was ransacked, maybe this person was looking for something specific. Down at the station, Cragen gets a phone call. And apparently the, Jennifer, the woman who's been killed, her parents never got the phone message that Logan and Briscoe had left for her. Um, and they, like, arrived at her apartment to find it ransacked and were like, what's going on? So they go meet the parents who have the boyfriend in tow, and they are at the morgue. And they ask her if there's anything that, uh, they ask the parents and the boyfriend, like, is there anything that you can think of that somebody would have wanted from Jennifer to, like, make, to kill her, to ransack her apartment? And the parents and the boyfriend can't really think of everything, of anything, um, but they said that she had left the hospital in a hurry that night, so maybe she knew something was going on. Hmm. The the boyfriend, by the way, if you know the video game Street Fighter, this kid's guile. hair was guile from Street oh. Fighter. It was it was just an inverted trapezoid on the top of his head. His hair out out of control this whole episode. Guile is per. I was trying to think of a character, a cartoon character in my head, because it's a hundred percent animated hair. Yes. I was originally thinking Kid Vid from the mm. Burger King Kids Club, <laughs> 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 but I think Guile really just does it. Thank you. Yeah. So they ask the boyfriend, like, what time did you call Jennifer's parents to, like, check in with them and say that, you know, Jennifer hadn't shown up to whatever meeting they were supposed to have? And the parents say that he called at 8.15. But back at the station, we learn that there are no prints on anything from Jennifer's, like, crime scene or from her apartment. So the murderer must have worn gloves when he attacked her or she, whoever attacked her. Mm. But they also see that the boyfriend's phone records don't indicate that any call was made that night. So, quote, he must have used a carrier pigeon is... I, I forget who says that, but... So they go speak with the boyfriend again, and it's unclear what his occupation is. At first, I was like, does he work in some kind of, like, evil scientist laboratory? Because he's wearing a white coat, and there is the, like, worst set design I've ever seen in my life, where it's just, like, a bunch of bottles with random colored fluids in it, and it, it's so stupid. <laughs> But he clarifies, when they ask him about, like, hey, you said you called, but you, there are no calls from your apartment. He's like, oh, I called from a payphone. Uh, so that's why there's no record of the call. And he says that he called the hospital twice, like, thinking that Jennifer had forgotten that they were going to meet. And then he says, oh, I've got to go teach class. Kind of what we learn is this is a, uh, like, a medical school, I guess, that they both worked at. So it was like a hospital, but also maybe a teaching hospital is what I'm thinking. Okay. So we're getting kind of multiple stories from the boyfriend and Logan and Briscoe don't really know what to believe. So they head over to the parents' apartment without the boyfriend to kind of talk to them about the boyfriend. And, you know, they're inquiring, okay, he says he called from a payphone. So did you hear any background noise on the call? And they're like, no, like not really, I guess. And they kind of inquire, were they a happy couple? Did Jennifer ever indicate there were problems? 
but the parents don't really appreciate this line of inquiry. And the dad says, like, you know, we don't know anything about any conflict, but we do know they were seeing a couple's therapist together, so maybe you should go talk to her. Mm-hmm. So, so they go meet the therapist. And we get the standard, like, you know, I don't know how much help I can be because patient, patient confidentiality. confidentiality. Always. Uh, they did old, this, I feel like, last story. week, too. Yeah. Every week. <laughs> so... She says, there's no history of violence, uh, but uh, Jennifer had a self-esteem problem, and she would drink too much, and she would make passes at men. Uh, But she says the boyfriend didn't really know that. It was just her who knew that. Mm. So then they go and speak with another doctor who's like, "Mm, Jennifer was not a drinker. Like, sure, she would have a drink occasionally, but I would never say that she was a drinker. And then she pulls out a file and sees that about two to three months ago, the boyfriend came by to pick Jennifer up, and this is, her direct quote is, he was a little wired, and we took him to the psych ward. <laughs> what that is supposed to believe, I do not know. He was a little wired. A little wired. So they head up to the psych ward to get more information on this event. And again, we get the standard, I don't know how much I can share with you, patient confidentiality. Also, he's a resident doctor here, so we're going to be extra cautious. Um, But she pulls out a file, and literally, like, she starts her line before her eyes even touch the piece of paper, so she clearly (laughs) did not get any information from this. And she tells them that Daniel, who's the boyfriend, was given an intravenous drug to calm him down, and then he was checked out of hospitalization by his personal therapist, who is Dr. Diane Mead, which is the same therapist that we saw a couple minutes ago, who said that she was only seeing them as a couple. So mm. she has lied to lies, Logan and Briscoe. Lies, 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 What is that from? It's a song. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so they go speak with Daniel again and ask him about that incident. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, my computer crashed. I was really upset about it, which... I've had computer crashes before. I've actually had my computer stolen before. I Ooh. didn't go to the psych ward about it, so that seems perhaps a bit overdramatic. So at the station, they bring the the therapist in, the one who lied to them, and they bring her down to the station and ask her if she was also the boyfriend's personal therapist. Meanwhile, toxicology reports come in, and they find that Jennifer... Um, the night that she died, did have a really high blood alcohol content. So their next line of inquiry is to go interview people who worked at bars in the area to see if anyone saw her the night of her murder. And they eventually come across a bartender who said that Jennifer usually came in once a week. Uh, This is the saddest thing. He was like, yeah, I felt sorry for her. She would come in alone, gobble up a bunch of chicken wings without ordering any drinks. (laughs) Which just sounds like she was enjoying the happy hour chicken wings. Come on. Let her enjoy her life. Let like, her enjoy her wings. Oh my god. That felt very, like, unnecessary, pointed. Yeah. <laughs> this this whole episode, there are multiple times where they kind of, like, try to paint her as, like, a sad, pathetic character. Yeah, yeah. So he says that, you know, the chicken wing gobbler, she would come in <laughs> once a week and was, like, really quiet other than the go- chicken gobbling sounds. And she would accept this night that she came in and she ordered a bunch of drinks and she kept looking at her watch and he says she drank enough gin to fill a bathtub. All right. (laughs) So behavior was different on the night of her murder. So 
now they're wondering if there is some sort of conspiracy that the psychiatrist made up about this whole, like, she used to drink all the time to cover for the boyfriend. Hmm. So they bring the boyfriend into an interrogation room and ask him, like, they basically are kind of like, we know that you were the one going through her apartment. Uh, You know, they're just questioning him like he did it. They call him a piece of crap. I think Briscoe actually kicks over the table. It's it's a very good cop, bad cop scene. So at this point, he still hasn't asked for a lawyer and they're wondering why. Uh, But they say, like, you know, maybe he thinks he'll look guilty if he does. Um, oh yeah, my next note, Len- Briscoe loses his mind and kicks over a table. Uh, and then Logan swaps out and starts being good cop, which is funny because I feel like Logan is usually bad cop. Totally, but he's, you know, Briscoe's the alpha now. Yes. Also, did you, you've heard that, uh, what's Briscoe's, or what's Logan's name uh, in real life? Yeah, Christopher Noth. Yes, the sexual assault allegations. I, ha- I, I haven't looked into all of, all of the <sighs> details of them, but I, I've... I've, I've raised there, yeah. Yeah. We gotta talk about that one of these weeks. <sighs> yeah. So, da, 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 da. so on the other side of the mirror, the actor who always walks in with, like, reports for the main character. Oh, yeah, yeah. He literally walks in, and I had to rewind to make sure I heard this correctly, and literally says, Donnie gets the toaster oven, and then hands a file to Cragen. I... It, <laughs> <laughs> it was as though they told the actor, like, oh, don't worry, we're going to, like, edit out your line. Like, it's just going to be silence, uh-huh. and you're, it's just going to be somebody handing. Donnie gets a toaster oven. Nobody in this episode is named Donnie, Cragen. Cragen's name is Donald. Okay, but what what what, what does a toaster oven have to do with this? I don't know. Maybe Sonia Morgan is, is uh, <laughs> making her... Releasing a cookbook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the phone records show that a the call that was made to Jennifer's parents from remember they said Daniel called around 8:15 the phone call apparently came from Dr. Mead's office and so they ask her about it and they now think that maybe he murdered Jennifer and then went to Dr. Mead to like confess about it and then called the parents from there Meanwhile, in the interrogation room, the boyfriend, Daniel, starts to cry and says, I just wanted it to be okay. I couldn't be with both of them. And then says, if she had just brought the diary, she was supposed to bring it. By the way, his acting here is so bad. In this episode, it's embarrassingly bad. This episode was one of the most uncomfortable episodes I think we've ever had to watch, in my opinion. It wasn't my favorite. I'll tell you that. Okay, because he's doing this, like, creepy baby voice and is like, Jenny didn't understand. I had to be with her. So now, essentially, we learn that he was in a relationship with his psychiatrist, Dr. Mead. Hmm. We transfer over to the order side, and we're in Stone's office, and Daniel and his lawyer are there. And Stone says that he's going to charge Daniel with murder, too. But the defense lawyer says he was emotionally disturbed, he didn't mean to kill her, and so he asks Stone to plea down to manslaughter, but Stone refuses. And they have Dr. Olivet uh, evaluate Daniel and ask him to release the records that he has with Dr. Mead so that they can, quote, protect her. And he says yes, so they have legal consent to obtain his records from Dr. Mead. In the interrogation with Dr. Olivet, he a- she asks him if it was Jenny's idea to see a therapist, and he doesn't really remember, 
but he mentions the diary and clarifies that it was his personal diary of his thoughts and feelings. And we learn essentially that Jenny, the girl who was killed, found and read his diary and uh, basically had told him that he needed to end things with Dr. Mead. This was really inappropriate. Um, and essentially the night of her murder, she knew he was seeing Dr. Mead, presumably to end the relationship, and then they were gonna, uh, you know, meet each other. But that's, of course, not what happened. Mm. Mm. So now the DAs are meeting with Dr. Mead and her lawyer, and she says that all of this relationship stuff is just something that Daniel concocted. We were not having a relationship. I was just his psychiatrist. She says that the night of the murder, he showed up at her office and she told him, I'm finishing up some notes from my previous client. Go ahead and wait in the waiting room and I'll be right with you. And then about 10 minutes later, he apparently told her he changed his mind and was going to go home. And so she's basically saying she didn't know anything about what happened that night. And of course, he didn't tell her that he had killed Jenny, according to her. According to her. So they ask if she would be willing to meet with Dr. Olivet, and she says yes, despite her lawyer telling her that this is not a good idea. And uh, in a scene with the two of them, we kind of get a little bit of a battle of the wits. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it doesn't really tell us anything we didn't already know. Um, But she still is claiming that Daniel had been fantasizing this sexual relationship with each other, that it never existed. Dr. Olivet, meanwhile, is firmly of the opinion that Dr. Mead is responsible in some way for Jenny's death because she, quote, turned Daniel into a stick of dynamite and lit the fuse. And my note to myself says, I'm not sure how she got to this conclusion because the epi- or the scene between her and Dr. Mead, nothing is like revealed that we no. didn't already know. So it's kind of no. like, uh, what? They're it's a like, little bit of a jump. They're like making it seem like she has some kind of secret uh, magic therapist, psychiatrist, yes. mind insight meld. Yes. And because <laughs> she was just in the room with someone who she feels like was a liar through now her she magical knows. training, she knew. Ah. Yeah. <sighs> so she says you should definitely indict Dr. Mead. Stone and Robinette are kind of reluctant, reluctant to do, to do so. But Olivet is firmly of the opinion that Mead is responsible for Jennifer's death through Daniel. D.A. Schiff, the bridge troll, decides that this is not a good idea. Um, This could be a really precedent-setting case. And Stone is like, that's the point of the law. Like, we set precedent with cases. Uh, Because apparently at this point, a psychiatrist had never been held liable for somebody else's actions. But they decide to test her by lifting the visitation restriction on Daniel, because they had uh, um, prevented her from seeing him in custody. So they lift the visiting restriction and kind of like test out whether she would show up to visit him. And she does. And they record the conversation and we get the grossest baby talk between the two of them where he says, me loves you. And she says, me loves you too. And I just imagine they must have given barf buckets to the actors in this scene because how did they not throw up from saying these lines? Oh, God. Me loves you. (sighs) Go to hell. Get out of here. I'm not trying to yuck anybody else's yum, but this kind of sexual baby talk is really uncomfortable for me to watch. Yeah, and I'll I'll just go ahead and yuck your yum. Thank you. (laughs) 
So now they've got her, and they arrest her for the murder of Jennifer. And essentially, they have a case where her defense rests on whether there was a reasonable expectation of privacy in that recorded conversation, and the judge does eventually rule the tape inadmissible. So now... They're trying to figure out what evidence they could use to prove that she was responsible. And so they decide to track down the diary. And Daniel lets them know that the diary is at his mother's house in his dresser. And diary. The diary, by the way. Can we just, for a moment, grown man. Diary. And listen, it is, the, I write little notes. I used to have diaries that I called journals because I was in the closet and thought diary would be the one thing that let people know I was gay. LOL. <laughs> it wasn't going to be my um, everything, everything else about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the whole case hinging on these diaries. Yeah. Diaries. <sighs> like, what? Honestly, that's the evidence. Something you yeah. scribbled in under your bed. Yeah. God. So Daniel testifies that they had sex a lot and that she would call him and bring him into the office for sex four to times, four to five times per week. Like she would call him in for a session and they would end up having sex together. He testifies that Dr. Mead called Jennifer a manipulative bitch oh. and that when she found the diary, uh, Jenny told him that if he didn't stop seeing Dr. Mead, she would expose her. So she was like, no, this was all made up, but she was, you know, blackmailing me or whatever. She is not a girl's girl. She does not. She does not support, support other, other women. women. Absolutely not. So he tells the story of the night of the murder. He says that he tried to break up with Dr. Mead, but they ended up having sex instead. Oops. <laughs> and Jenny was waiting outside and she got really angry and didn't bring the diary. And he grabbed her. He didn't mean to, but he killed her. So in a quick scene, we learn that after testifying, Danny attempted suicide. And then we jump back to the courtroom where Dr. Mead is testifying and saying their relationship was not inappropriate. I never suspected he might be violent. Um, but this was a personal failure of not seeing his potential violence. That's the only thing she's supposedly guilty of. Um, then we get a reading from Daniel's diary, and it says that, quote, Dr. Mead told me that if I broke up with Jenny, she would be my mommy forever. Mm. Yeah. No. Dr. Mead says, I never told him to get rid of her. Uh, but a second excerpt from the diary says that there was a session where she told Daniel to pretend a pillow was Jenny, and he attacked it and punched it a bunch of times. So that's, according to Stone, you know, evidence that she knew about his violence, uh, potential for violence toward Jenny. And the jury deliberates. It's been 72 hours of deliberation. And meanwhile, during that deliberation period, Dr. Mead and her lawyer come to Stone's office. She is wearing a scrunchie that, <gasps> I, no <sighs> joke, is a third the size of her head. It is it, massive. When she turned sideways, I thought I was, I thought I had switched over to the sci fi network and what? I was watching like Battleship Galactica. Or some other kind of show featuring species on another planet. It looked like a prosthetic... Her hair, plus that scrunchie, plus the hair that came out of the other side of it somehow. It looked like it was made of, like, mithril. 
<laughs> I didn't know if she was a creature come to take over my my planet. <laughs> I was terrified. I thought Mars Attacks had come on TV. I, lo- I We should watch Mars Attacks sometime. You know, I just watched it for the first time a, a few <gasps> months ago. Oh my god, what did you think? I loved it. Oh, great. I loved it. I haven't oh watched it in more than 20 years. Every actor is in that movie. Is in it? Every actor. Oh my actor. gosh. Okay. <laughs> so, um, she, she offers basically, like, I'll resign m- my practice. I'll, I'll give up my license to practice in exchange for a lenient sentence. And so she pleads guilty to negligent, criminally negligent homicide. And she'll be on probation for five months. Uh, Danny pleads down to manslaughter in the second degree. And Stone, meanwhile, in court is recognizing that Daniel is clearly struggling with his mental health based on the suicide attempt as well as the diary and all, all his behavior. And so he's pleading with the judge to uh, ju- to have his sentence in a psych ward, not in a prison, because he worries that he uh, won't survive prison. Mm. The judge understands why he is asking for this, but then says, nah, and sentences him to prison for four to 12 years. And the final moment of the episode is him being taken away in cuffs, and he looks at Dr. Mead and says, Diane? And that's it. <laughs> Sandy? <laughs> Diane? <laughs> oh, I am so glad you reminded me of that scrunchy moment, because I, I wanted to remind myself to ask you. I mean, there are a lot of big scrunchies in Law & Order, but this one took the cake. This was the biggest we'd ever seen. It was so big. Yeah. Like oh, like the, the head of Aliens from Aliens. Yes. Like, just kept extending up. Are you ready, Anne? I am. Okay. So this is not actually based on any real crime, but I found a crime that I feel like has a, a ton of elements that are very similar to the episode. Okay. So, you know what? If this crime had happened maybe like 15 years earlier, it might have been it might have been based. Might have been it. the one. So you tell me. Dot dot dot. <laughs> I say dot 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 a lot. Um, all right. So, I don't want to tell you too much about the name of the case. I don't want to give it away, but we're going to be talking about a woman named Shannon o- Doherty. <laughs> Bador. <laughs> Shannon O'Rourke. Griffin. Okay. Okay, so let's start by talking a little bit about Sharon O'Rourke. Okay. Previous to her adding the Griffin to her name. Okay. That was when she went to uh, Hogwarts and was sorted into Gryffindor, of Mm. course, when she added the Griffin. Of course. So Shannon gets a degree in aeronautical engineering. So pretty, pretty smart. Impressive, yeah. Uh, Agreed. Uh, I don't know... If she was technically a rocket scientist or not, but she is a scientist, um, mm-hmm. and she does end up getting a job at NASA. So I'm just saying, if Shania Twain was here, she'd be like, mm, "Let's go, girls." Not uh, that doesn't impress me very much. Oh, <laughs> I By would think way, that she supports other women and says, "Let's go, girls." Uh, you know what? Shania Twain doesn't support other women. She Does doesn't. she not? I I I am not a huge fan of her. Anymore. Oh really? I I never was a bit. I loved "You're Still the One" when she first came out. Of course, loved it. Yeah, then, I mean that was a great song for the great. time. Great. I just I, never got 
into the... I like the moment when she says, let's go, girls. And I like the fact that her her video is what it is. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that song. I don't like that. Don't impress me much because... So what do you you're, think? You're a rocket you're, scientist? That's, <laughs> impress, that's impressive. You went to that freaking school. You got a degree. I? So you're Brad Pitt. That's okay. also impressive. It's, maybe it's not as impressive, but it is very impressive. And then, so you're, oh, what, you're Elvis? You're al- also you impressive. are alive from the dead. That's far yeah, more that's impressive also, yeah. than wearing a, a leopard hooded uh, duster in the um, desert. Bye. Number one, how dare you? That's Sorry. a great outfit that no. I would have killed for for drag. Um, <laughs> but also, she has that song, Getcha, Getcha Good. Have you heard that one? No. It's really good. It's catchy. She drives a motorcycle in the future, kind of. I think, if I'm remembering the music video correctly. I'm gonna get you. So you got I'm a car. Okay, that, maybe getting a car is not that impressive. Okay, fine. That one, I agree with her. So you got a car. She's it's a just, cute car, though. You're still the one. Was she great. just has high standards. What other songs does she have? Um, let's see. You're the one. Uh, let's go, girls. Uh, let's go, um, girls, which is by the way, not even the song. <laughs> what's it called? I can't think of it. Man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> Man, I feel like a woman. So then there's Getcha Good, uh-huh. and um, I know that there's at least one other one that right, I, I can't think kind of, of heard of. Who cares? Let's go. Let's go, girls. Let's go, girls. <laughs> That's stupid. So, okay. So, Shannon O'Rourke, she becomes an aerospace engineer. Okay. And she works as a training specialist for space shuttle systems in Houston, Texas from 1980 to 1993. Which, also, to be a woman working in science like space science in the early 80s is also pretty impressive very impressive independent of like the fact that she did that but especially for the time i mentioned this earlier i didn't mention it when i said it just now but this was for nasa that she was doing this so got it okay like a very male dominated field yeah so very good on her very 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 bright yeah um she was well liked by her co-workers. She was a bright student by, by all counts. Meanwhile, around the same time as she was coming up, a man named Roscoe Griffin had served his time in the Air Force. And in one article, I read that he was also a army guy. But mm-hmm. literally every other article said Air Force. But so I'm pretty okay. sure that was a typo. So... Roscoe Maybe Griffin, they said, like, armed forces or something. It said he was a retired army, army colonel at uh, some point. Maybe but that's he, just lazy journalism. I agree, because he was an Air Force colonel. Hmm. Literally the same thing. Anyway, so he retires from duty at some point, uh, but he's not feeling quite ready to quit working. He still wants to do something. He doesn't want to lie around and mow the lawn or all that kind of stuff. So I forget it is what it is his exact job he gets after he retires is first, but it's something to do with, like, a youth program. Okay. So that's kind of where both of these people are at their lives. I had a really hard time confirming the two of their sort of, like, origin story meet-cute moment. (laughs) (laughs) But somewhere in this area of their lives, they they kind of link up. Um, Okay. In Houston. 
Yeah, early on. Um, okay. So that's where they end up later on. They sort of link up early. One source alleges that they met at NASA. Okay. But there's really no mention as to what, when, or how, other than the fact that she works at NASA at the time they meet. Um, he he was in the Air Force and the Armed Forces. I guess there's the possibility that I, I'm not going to pretend to know how they link together, mm-hmm. but I know that they do. So, it, sure, maybe it was some sort of military type of event that they meet at, but okay. um, that's one source that says that. Because of that, I would say, again, early 90s, because that's when she was working for NASA. She ends up leaving NASA in 1993. So... As I said, she's in NASA being a modern woman of the times, working a male-dominated field, working nine to five. It's the eighties, early nineties. Oh, right. And then he is very, you know, con air, military, you know, propaganda-looking guy. Um, you know, salutes and airplanes and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very iconic looking love story you know the yeah, yeah. strong woman scientist and the the man of the military falling in love it's really quite cute looking okay they get married again i would say early 90s and we will fast forward now quite a bit to january of 2012 okay it's january it's the new year we all have resolution. Did you have a New Year's resolution this year? Kind of. I don't really believe in resolutions, yeah. but I've decided that 2002 is my year of saying yes to things because I uh, I tend to be introverted and I especially was introverted when, I mean, all during the pandemic and now I feel like it's just not possible to... Anyway, um, so I've decided that generally... I, when people like invite me to things or I agree to go to things, I start to really dread it mm, leading up yeah, to it. Yeah. And then you, but usually I have a really good time. And so I've decided that I'm going to try to more actively say yes to things in 2022. Um, and so far it's kind of worked out. It's, you know, we're 15 days in. So <laughs> that's great. What about, do you have one? Um, kind of. I'm the same way. I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't put a lot of stock in resolutions. I think if I would say a goal that I've kind of set in the time span of the new year, mm-hmm. I feel as though when the pandemic first began, furlough and all that kind of stuff for me, I was living probably my most healthy, best life for those first three to five months. Uh huh. I worked out regularly i felt really good about my body no matter what it looked like i was never unkind to myself about it i was really the peak of getting some breakthroughs in therapy um you know we only had one dog so my life was a lot less stressful yeah uh the move was in the future i i was just really living my best best, honestly my best life and i felt the most connected to my loved ones near and far that I ever have. Um, yeah. And a lot of that has to, to, has to do with this podcast too. So thank you and thank Aww. those who listen. So somewhere though, along the way, I had a, I could think of a few events that definitely contributed, but I can't think of the moment. Yeah. I closed up like so tight. Yeah. And I got so afraid of the world. Um, yeah. 
and I just am looking forward to getting back to the the way I felt when I was feeling my best, whether yeah. it's those same types of things that worked before mm-hmm. or whether it's figuring out what works for me now that gets me the same feeling. My goal is to just be... I heard this on my favorite murder. I'm catching up, so this is old, but I heard this. Karen said at one point that her therapist told her sometimes in life you just have to be a little bit more brave than you are afraid. Yeah. And that's what I'm working on. Just trying to be more brave than I am afraid and just kind of push through stuff. Push through stuff to sort of feel like myself again, regardless of what circumstance excuse me what circumstances around me i can't necessarily control in the moment so yeah you know, i yeah. guess we're both i think we're both doing the right we're on the right yeah, path. it sounds like we're both doing similar things with uh different phrasing i agree and i honestly getting back to doing this podcast again i know this is only the second yeah. week in a row if it, it helps a lot a hundred percent my normalcy is returning <laughs> <laughs> All right, so New Year, just like us, everyone's got resolutions. It's, uh, what, what year did I say it was? To January 2012. Okay. Um, like many people, the Griffins have time to take stock of their lives and evaluate and see what's working. And they found that after approximately 20 years of marriage, things just are not the same. Um, mm. They're not happy anymore. They're at wildly different places in their lives than they were. Not only that, they're actually literally living in different places now. So let's talk about how that happened. Okay. So let's rewind a little bit. January 2012, where they're at, is literally living in different locations. Shannon and Roscoe are still married, but they're unhappy. And uh, they know that it's the new year. It's time to do something about it. So Mm -hmm. we're going to rewind a little bit to where this started to go downhill. The early 90s, Shannon is still working for NASA. She's diagnosed with a seizure disorder. It's hmm. very vague. It's only mentioned in one source, but it's, it, it lines up, so we're going to go with it. Okay. Because of this disorder, she was put on an indefinite leave from her job at NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the leave lasts like 10 years. She gets, she's been there for a while, and because of like the circumstances, she's able to basically get paid for by disability for many many years to come Hmm. she doesn't like this obviously though she's you know studied for a long time she's brilliant in her field and because of something she has no control over she has to leave her job and and just get paid out Hmm. eventually she decides she wants to retire to missouri it's a location that is more savory to her for whatever do you mean missouri the state i sure do okay what did i say missouri missouri it's missouri Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> Listeners, headliners, call in now. Missouri. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm doing it extra, but okay, Missouri. That's how I say it, at least. LOL. So at this point, Roscoe, innocent, Roscoe is in his 50s, and he agrees. He's like, okay, well, you know, we're together. I don't have a lot going on right now either I'll, I'll go with you let's go to missouri it's around this time he starts to regret the decision his life is boring to him he feels like it's restless um he makes repeated attempts to find work it's it's not help it's not working out he's retired mm-hmm. as well but you know like i said he doesn't like to be doing nothing he wants to do something and okay. he's very bored 
In 2010, Roscoe finally gets himself a job in, I think it's pronounced Leons. It's L-Y-O-N-S. So I'll say Leons. Okay. Kansas. Is that also in Missouri? Oh, Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. Okay. So it's quite a distance away. Um, the job is as a senior aerospace instructor with the Air Force Junior ROTC program. So kind of right back in his wheelhouse, wheelhouse. as a yep. retired Air Force colonel. He gets the job, and he's able to like work with high school students, yada, yada. So he takes the job, regardless of how far away it is, and he kind of like commutes back and forth, mostly staying there. Um, they have visits when they can, mostly him to her, because she really doesn't like where he lives very much, and it's a nine-hour drive. Uh, that's a long drive. Kill me. If I had to drive nine hours every weekend to see my partner, I better be <sighs> like, the love better carry me <laughs> six of those hours each each way. Yeah. That is a lot. So yeah. I don't blame either of them, but they're doing the long distance thing. They're trying to make it work. She's clearly unhappy, but, you know, it, he, he has the job. So yeah. It's during this time that Roscoe's previous fellow soldier and current very good friend dies by suicide. Mm. And Roscoe has a really hard time with it, uh, understandably. He's very distraught. He finds himself very depressed with feelings he can't quite describe. And he goes, um, his employer, since it's through the Air Force, um, sends him to like a, you know, one of their doctors. He's diagnosed with PTSD himself. And because of this and the nature of his job, they um, require him to see a psychiatrist in their sort of, like, network of people. Okay. And so he begins to do so and finds that it's actually really helpful to talk to somebody and to open up. And he, you know, agrees with the diagnosis the more he he is doing the program. Doing this sort of therapy, however, does not do anything to help his marriage. He just finds himself feeling more and more distant from his wife. And now it's, again, we're back to January. This is where they both are at. So he is doing a little bit better in general. He's working. Um, he's seeing a therapist, but still not very happy in his relationship. For her, not much has changed. She's, she's living the same sort of life, just sort of, you know, biting her tongue. Yeah. So New Year, the two of them agree, something has to change. They decide to do counseling. During a counseling session in 2012, in January, probably I think their second one, Roscoe, who is now 62 years old, reveals to his wife Shannon, who is 10 years younger at 52 years old, that he is actually having an affair. Mm. The woman he is seeing is named Irina Puskariu. I believe it's actually pronounced Prescaru, but it has okay. an I in it. So I'm going to say Prescaru because I've seen a few news reports and that's how I've heard it on TV. So forgive okay. me, but um, she's 46 years old. Um, it's, so it's not like she's wildly younger in age than Shannon. Um, she's, you know, a professional woman. It's not just a fling. It's someone he is genuinely in love with, fallen in love with, and wants to carry on his life with. He has no intention of leaving her. This okay. counseling has only confirmed for him that he wants a divorce. Got it. Shannon does not agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> she does not want a divorce. She wants to reconcile. Uh, but he insists uh, that that's, that's, those are my terms. I'm, <sighs> I'm happy. I don't 
want to be in this relationship anymore. We don't even live together. We're in separate states. And, I'm, you know, this is what it is. Uh, how does he know, though? Like, how this hasn't been very long that he's been working for this company, that he's been living out of state. It's only been, what, two years now? So how yeah. does he know he can really trust this girl? He knows that Irina is his soulmate and that they're very deeply connected because she is his therapist from Kansas City helping him with his PTSD. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen the TV show (laughs) on the Investigation Discovery Channel called Deadly Women? Uh, No, but you've you've... You've told me about Snapped before, oh, okay. and I think you've also told me about Deadly Women, but no, I've never watched it. The Investigation Discovery Channel is a gem. Um, it was created in the height of, in the early height of true crime craze, and it's just full of shows like Deadly Women or Nightmare Next Door or like <laughs> High Price Madam. The Secret Killer. Yeah, yeah, it's always just some sort of theme that'll rehash, you know, stories with reenactments usually, usually multiple stories per episode. So they're really jam-packed, 30 minutes with like three stories. It's a lot. Okay. Um, <laughs> of the more dramatic reenactments and retellings and unfortunately sometimes liberties I think they take with facts uh-huh. is Deadly Women. Okay. So, I don't always trust everything I see on it, even though I cannot get enough of it. Okay. <laughs> if you get the opportunity. You have access it to it. I know you do. Cause What's it on again? I have access to it because you have access to it. It's on the Investigation Discovery Channel. You might have to, like, download their app and put your cable information in. Okay, okay. It's worth it. Okay. Um, now, it's, and it's got, like, 20 seasons or something. <laughs> So now on the Deadly Woman, Deadly Women episode about this case, which is, hold on, um, this will be on the website too, but it is episode 13 of season 11, titled Dumped and Dangerous. <laughs> okay. Um, on that episode, they suggest that this affair went on for longer than I've been able to find proof of, and that Shannon herself knew about it for longer than they claimed to in any of the other reporting I found. Uh-huh. They also overdramatize a scene where Shannon confronts Irina in person before okay. we learn of her actually finding out about it from everything else I've looked up. And um, the scene is, like, very bombastic and outrageous. And <laughs> this woman is sleeping with my husband. Do you hear me, everybody in this room? Uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know... Um, I have not found this anywhere else. So it is alleged from this very um, well-known source, but I don't know that I would say it's credible. Okay. From everywhere else, this couple session in January of 2012 is when Shannon finds out about Irina. Hmm. The affair could have allegedly been going on for anywhere to about one and a half years, I would say, looking at it logistically from when he got the job and, you know, got um, referred to Irina as a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. So somewhere up to one and a half years, probably between one and one and a half years. And, um, you know, the, the TV show makes it look a little bit longer. The show also suggests that Roscoe changed. This is crazy. I've seen this nowhere else but there. If it's a detail of the case that's true, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) But it says that Roscoe, in this, let me try to do it in this serious voice they do it in the show. They report on this as though this is like a 
creepy moment, right? Like a mm-hmm. case-cracking moment. Roscoe changed his Facebook status to it's complicated. It's complicated. And Shut up. Wait, we wait, talked wait, about that more. last week. There's more too. Wait. And posted a picture to Facebook of he and Irina on his wedding anniversary to Shannon. I mean, that is messy. I, I don't know if it's true, but I kind of hope it is. I not just because it's so messy, and it just yeah. was a very. It would make this kind of outrageous uh, thing a little bit more light. So, I don't know if any of that part is true, but that's what you get from Deadly Women. Um, Back to actual reported facts. It's at this point that Shannon allegedly leaves a note for her husband, Thursday, January 12th, 2012, that says, quote, it's obvious you can't deal with this, so I will. Mm. And then she drives through the night 250 miles from her home in Kansas, Leon's, Kansas, to Gladstone, Missouri. She arrives at her destination, I believe it said four hours later, at approximately 2 p.m. on Friday, January 13th, 2012. Dr. Irina Piscaru answers the front door to her home and finds herself face-to-face with the barrel of a gun being held by a woman that she's never seen before. She's backed into her home by Shannon O'Rourke Griffin, and I would imagine in a moment like this for Irina that her life flashes behind her before her eyes. <laughs> but I wonder what that's like if, when it flashes behind your eyes. That's kind of like a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Irina for a moment. Irina Prescaru comes into the world on October 15th, 1965 to her father, Mireya, and her mother, Anita, who um, Anita was a pharmacist for over 30 years. Her father passes away in 2012 when Irina is 37 years old. When she's 31 years old, however, she emigrates to the United States to the Kansas City area from Romania. Okay. Um, Romania is where she's born and raised. It's also in Romania where she would receive her Doctor of Medicine degree at the University of Targu Muir. Wow. And she subsequently practiced general medicine in a um, city called Brasov. Okay. She was always very bright. She spoke seven languages fluently. Okay, girl. Seven. That is impressive. So having this skill uh, makes her an asset to all of the facilities that she ends up working at because she's often serving as their translator as well as to whatever position she's put in. Mm-hmm. When she moves to the U.S., she, quote, I'm just going to read a quote because <laughs> I can't paraphrase this. She completed her equivalency study and residency at the University of Kansas. She became board certified in psychiatry by the American Board of Psychology, Psychiatry and Neurology. Okay. So she did her thing. Yeah. I mean, very smart people in this episode overall. Yes. So now she served as a resident in the University of Kansas Medical Center psychiatric program from July 1997 through June 2001. Remember, this is way before she meets these folks. She won't meet uh, Mr. Griffin until 2010 at least. Okay. So 2001 um, is when she ends working for the psychiatric program at Kansas Medical Center. She then goes on to work as a consultant psychiatrist at the North Kansas City Hospital before she took a position at the Kansas City Veterans Affairs Medical Center. 
um, this is where she'll eventually connect with Griffin. Makes sense, Veterans Affairs. Yeah. She begins seeing him as a patient um, around 2010, 2011-ish, and she was under the impression at the time that he was legally separated from his wife, Shannon, but they were still legally married. Mm-hmm. By 2012, she's still seeing him, both professionally and romantically, which okay. there's a lot there, um, yeah. and she is completely unaware that his ex-wife, Shannon, has any feelings about their relationship whatsoever. Uh, Allegedly. (laughs) Fast forward back to January 13th, 2012, where she is standing in her home. Shannon is in her living room holding a gun to her. Arena is not alone. Her 80-something-year-old mother, Anita, lives with her. And she witnesses, in the next moments, Shannon shoot Irina three times and after she falls to the ground Shannon approaches Irina and shoots her a fourth time in the face Jesus before fleeing the house Jesus is right oh my god it is unclear of whether she knew that Anita was in the room when watching or not okay but it is for sure clear that Anita witnessed the whole thing okay she leaves. The scene is, of course, very traumatizing. It's gruesome. Um, it's obviously done by someone who's very angry at the victim, or so it seems. There's mm-hmm. pieces of bone and teeth found, like, scattered across the ground. Ugh. And Irina is, of course, tragically dead at the age of 46 in 2012. Wow. Shannon, while in her car, calls first Roscoe. Okay. And confesses what she did. Says what she did. She says she just drove up here and she killed her. She says that she had killed the psychiatrist because, quote, she was not going to hurt anyone else ever again. And that she had done it to, quote, protect him and others from the evil woman. There are other solutions, but okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Roscoe, after this phone call, calls Irina's mother and allegedly addresses her on the phone as mom. His, his mistress, his mother, and confirms with her that what happened was true. He calls 911, and uh, it's, it's within hours Shannon is arrested in Wichita in her car. Wow. She cooperates with police. She doesn't even run. When they put the lights on, she pulls over like nothing, gets out of the car. She doesn't deny what she did, and uh, she cooperates with them in taking her back from Wichita, Kansas to Missouri for, you know, facing the music. By the way, when they found her, she had two other unloaded guns in her car with her. Just for fancies. LOL. Wow. For what? Um, So she's initially charged with first-degree murder and held at Clay County Detentional Center on $1 million bail. Hmm. In February, however, she files for a lower bond, saying it's too much, and she asks for the court to allow a mental health evaluation, claiming that she's suffering from depression. But all of this is denied, and she's continued to be held on a $1 million um, bond. Yeah. She petitions at the end of February for a new judge, which is granted. It's not clear why, but she gets her new judge. And her trial at that point is set for February of 13th. I'm sorry, for February of 2013, the next okay. year. Okay. It is not clear why lots of things happen with cases for all of the case for all of the victims and stuff that we've looked up. I'm sure 
you know, you've had a bunch of times too. It gets delayed multiple times. Yeah. And on November 21st of 2015, two full years after the case was supposed to be seen, she actually doesn't end up going to trial. She ends up pleading guilty to a lesser charge. Okay. Of, um, instead of a charge of first-degree murder, she pleads to one charge of second-degree murder and one charge of armed criminal action. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And on February 20th of 2015, she is sentenced to 20 years for each crime, but they're to be served concurrently. Okay. Griffin's attorney, Jared Johnson, said, quote, She was originally charged with first-degree murder, which only has two ranges of punishment, death or life without parole. Mm-hmm. We convinced the prosecutor to amend the charge, drop it to second degree. She could have gone to prison forever. She could have gone to trial, been convicted of second degree murder, and a jury could have recommended far more time. Mm-hmm. So when she is released, she will be 75 years old. Um, she will be 69 years old before she's eligible for parole. Hmm. At sentencing, Shannon said, quote, I have killed someone. I can't undo this. I can't pay restitution for this, and I am sorry. End quote. She is currently serving out her sentence in, mm-hmm. I'm going to butcher this word, Chillicothe Correctional Center in Missouri. Chillicothe, Missouri. Okay. So the victim of this crime, the victim of murder, Irina Piscoru, a statement from her employer um, after she was found murdered Dr. Pescoru was a valued staff member at the Kansas City VA Medical Center. Everyone is saddened by this tragic loss. She was well-liked by her patients and coworkers, and our thoughts and prayers go out to her mother especially. She will be missed. And here are some testimonials and thoughts from her loved ones and patients. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is from Chaplain Maureen McNeil. She writes... To Irina's family and friends, my thoughts and prayers are with you all as you navigate this very difficult time. Irina was my doctor for over three years until she released me just before she went to the VA hospital. She and I hit it off so well we considered ourselves friends also. Our visits, our visits were serious yet lighthearted, business yet pleasure. We laughed a lot and were good for each other. She was a phenomenal woman and I will remember her with great fondness. God bless you all. Another one says, this is from John Hanford. He says, you saved my life through your skill and caring. At my bleakest of times, you helped me heal. You made the difference between yet another Vietnam vet slipping away and a true chance for survival and redemption. You are a wonderful doctor to me and a dear friend. You will be missed. Enjoy your well-deserved eternal reward. And I'll end on this last one because it's, I think really kind and it's all any of us could ask that people say about us when we're no longer here this is from rose watson she writes you helped me realize who i was and what i could become when everyone else had given up on me you did not you will never be forgotten Hmm. and that is the basically the end of the story of the murder of irina piscaru wow um I say it's basically the end, and I just wanted to mention it's it's hard, it's complicated, right? Like because everyone yeah. here is a victim in some way, you know. Um, and Shannon is like, the victim of her husband cheating on her and emotionally abusing her and um, and isolating her, and then Roscoe is the victim of a untreated mental health dis- 
it just issues with that many yeah. veterans yeah. face and then paired that with being the victim of um of his therapist who mm-hmm. has power over him and is in no position to ever let something like that happen between the two of them. Right. He's the victim of her professional medical like healthcare abuse. And then right. Arena is obviously the victim of, of murder. Of murder. You know, yeah. for for <sighs> better or worse falling in love with someone maybe. Maybe yeah. falling in love with the idea of someone. Who knows? But it's kind of tragic all around. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Well good job. Thank you. Um, I thought they had a lot of in common with the episode. We had a lot of elements that kind of yeah. mirrored it. So I felt like it was a good one to sort of uh, to do in in place. Speaking of the episode, how would you rate it for watchability? Ugh, honestly, I'm just going to say like D, D. Yeah, I'm going to give it a solid F because the I know this won't be the last episode with creepy baby talk, but I any any creepy baby talk, I'm going to give the episode an F because I don't like to hear it. Um, what about how it dealt with it, or you know, the elements and stuff? Like yeah, the kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think that the show did any favors to the profession of agreed healthcare workers or medical health. It, professionals yes. um i also don't think it did any favors to those who seek health care in yeah. that field and the way they are portrayed like why i guess the it just felt very like the baby talk kind of thing yeah. felt like it was because he was someone who was like in therapy and needed quote quote unquote needed help you know what i mean I yeah I, I didn't like I, it I guess the only redeeming part of, like, messaging you could pull out of the episode is Stone asking for uh, some, like, leniency for him based on, or or at least uh, some mercy, I guess, of, like, having his prison service sentence served in a mental hospital. Oh, yeah. Like, it it was kind of honoring somebody's mental health challenges a little bit, but again... and I did appreciate that Olivet was so adamant that this was a... Like, he was also a victim. Yes. Because of her... You know, just because she's... It's uncommon for a woman to be the perpetrator of, you know, a sexual assault. It's not impossible. Yeah. So... You know, I I thought I'm gonna give it a D plus. I'll give it a little plus on the D. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. What do you give it for that? Oh, um, I mean, I guess C. It was fine. Okay. I mean, it, the okay. case you picked was similar, and I guess there are similar like complicating having sympathy for folks who do terrible things kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. If you enjoyed listening to this and would like to show your gratitude, please subscribe, please rate and review our podcast because that is the number one thing that will help other people find our podcast. Also, we mentioned it at the top of the episode, but the very best way for people to find out about our podcast in the first place is through word of mouth. I mean, that's probably how you found out about us. So Probably. I mean, I hope. So tell a friend, post about us, go on Reddit, go on a mommy blog, wherever, and spread the word. Spread the word. 
Our social media is Ripped Headlines on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and our email is rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. We love getting email from you, so please feel free to send a note and say hi. And head on over to our website, rippedheadlinespod.com. Honestly, I am so proud of it. I think it looks great, and I feel like we have so much more content on there. A lot of what we've been promising you is finally up, and I'm going to (laughs) continue to ride this wave. So hopefully within... uh, by season four, my goal is to have everything else updated. So check out that website and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. And uh, if you do subscribe to our Patreon, which you should, you will get a bunch of cool stuff, as well as um, a percentage of our proceeds go to the Equal Justice Initiative. So by supporting us, you are supporting positive change in the world. And thank you so much for listening to Rip from the Headlines, where you get the facts and some fiction. We'll see you next week, and until then, stay out of the headlines. Bye.